Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of I Am Socially Distancing With. Uh, today we have Jay Hulme, who is a poet, a speaker, and educator. Hi, Jay. Thanks Hello. Thanks for being, for being here with us. Good, good, to, good to have you here. to be here, but also not in a place. <laughs> totally. Totally. And um, so, yeah, l let me in introduce myself. I'm Juju. Um, my parents are uh, they, them. I'm a youth worker at the Kai Trust, which is an LGBTQ plus uh, support network for young people uh, up to 25 years old in Cambridgeshire. Today we have our very own Jack from the Kai Trust, who is going to, to interview Jay. Thanks a lot, Jack, for, for being here. Hello. Hey, worries. Hi, everyone. Hello. <laughs> Good. So, all right. Now, over to you, folks. You can introduce yourself saying your name and your pronouns, and you can start. Um, um, Sweet. Um, so, Jay, what, as Juju um, said, what we normally do at groups is, yeah, we introduce some of our names, uh, our pronouns, and we often have a silly, like, icebreaker question. And I was thinking for this question, um, if you had to delete all but three apps off your phone, which app, which three apps would you keep on your phone? Okay, so do the introductions first. I'm Jay Hume. Um, my pronouns are he, him. Um, Apps, apps, give me a minute. Um, I mean, Twitter's on there. Got to keep Twitter. Addicted to Twitter. It's bad. Um, I don't have Facebook on my phone because mm -hmm. it's a help hit. Probably I'd keep the calculator because I cannot do maths. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a shout. That's a shout. Um, do the camera and photos app count as one because you can access the photos app through through the camera? I'm not going to count it as one because yeah, the camera's built into the phone. No, 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 but look, yeah, but then you click that and then you get and then you get the photos. Reach, reach. Mm. Okay, I'll let you have it. I'll let you have it. Okay, so Twitter, the calculator, and then camera slash photos. I like it. I like it. And I don't want to like, expose you, but just before we started, Joe was like, oh, I should quickly close Twitter. So I, I, I kind of knew that that app was going to be on there. And I was like, yes. And so Actually, I get rid of the calculator. I can work out math. Maps. Maps. Oh, my God. Yes. Maps. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I travel too much to not have maps. It's my sat nav. It's my walking aid. I'd be dead. I, can, I, I cannot remember a time without using Google Maps, like anywhere, I'm just like, boom, Maps. I remember it. my mum used to print off the AA route guidance and we'd be driving along and one of us would have to like read where we were going um, and it'd go horribly wrong, notoriously, it'd be like, and then you take the third exit and like we're already on the roundabout like it was <laughs> and then once we did get a sat nav because my mum sent us around a lock in scotland like six times and we were like we've been here and she's like turn left we're like no um that was a devastating holiday that ended in us being banned from the caravanning and camping club for life due to other unrelated reasons we weren't in it in the first place but we were not allowed to return to any of their sites um <laughs> our reg numbers were noted um, <laughs> so then we got a sat nav and the sat nav didn't work either yeah the, that awkward gap between yeah before we got onto like maps on our phones and yeah the, the sat navs that like, took forever to load and yeah always always took you down routes that you're fairly sure are not the right route um, 
<laughs> yeah, no, completely. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, and for anyone listening, um, yeah, hi, my name's Jack. I use he, him pronouns. Um, and I would agree with you, I think, apart from I'd swap Twitter for, mm, what would I, definitely maps. I would keep the calculator because it's saved me so many times. Um, and that's a good question. What would then that final app be? What, oh, probably Instagram. I'm one of those Instagram mm-hmm. people. I think I would, yeah. I get it. I, I have Instagram, but I just, everyone's like, take Instagram seriously. And I'm like, no, I'm just going to put what I want on it. And if you're that into it, you can follow me. I'm like, I don't tag anything. I don't I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just like, this pictures are pretty. Take it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, and so following off of that, uh, for any viewers who might not know your work, um, how would you describe what you do and what your work is? Currently, I spend too much time on Twitter due to the plague. Um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a poet, I'm a children's writer. Um, before the end of the world, I was a performer. I did speeches. Um, I talk about trans rights in various places, hospitals, parliament, that kind of stuff. Um, basically, I do anything that made money. Currently, I go around old buildings, mostly churches, um, go into the bits that people aren't allowed, take photos, talk about them because they're real pretty and I love them um, and sell t-shirts with medieval cryptids and also weird slogans on on them um, and and make people fight about churches on Twitter I also do that for money I just you know any anything anything any, anything oh I'm writing a children's book actually I'm writing like three books at once don't go there it's chaos <laughs> I love how like I feel like that answer was very constructed at the beginning and like yes this and this and then it was like oh actually there's this and it just snowballed and I'm loving this sort of effect of just of just anything just stuff chaos yeah which is great which is fine um but yes, officially I'm, I'm a poet performer and educator speaker and educator nice but also Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And what sort of, um, yeah, what sort of got you into sort of poetry? We'll, ta- we'll tackle poetry to begin with. What got you into that and, um, yeah, inspired you to explore it? Well, like, so nobody likes poetry, right? Like, people like poetry, but they don't like poetry. You know, it's like a whole thing. Um, so as a kid, my mum used to work in this warehouse that, like, distributed books, which has ended badly for my bank account and life. And, I mean, that's just... You know, it's just it's a it's a problem. Um, so so Jacob opened a giant uh, like closet full of books, beautiful books, but full full of, full of books. Um, everyone's like buy a new um, buy a new like bookcase. I'm like, there's literally no more walls in my house um, <laughs> for me to put bookcases on, and there is no space on any of the current bookcases for books. So yeah, so my mum's started this sort of addiction because she worked there and, and she'd get like old books, damaged books, books didn't, didn't sell very well. She'd get like either super discount or free. And the books nobody wants is poetry books because nobody likes or buys poetry. So I was like, I was this very small child, like super into poetry because I just read it all the time. I was like, I want to be a poet. I was like five. I was like, I want to be a poet. The first poem we had like a record of me writing. I was four. It was, it was, I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it was not, you know, good it was about sheep um and it just sort of spiraled from there i was like what do you want to be i'm like poet (laughs) i'm deeply unqualified for anything else i just look at things and have feelings about them and then write it with good rhythm and occasional rhyme um so it's yeah it's just sort of spiraled from there and i was like i want to be a poet and then um yeah and i just kept reading poetry and writing poetry and then got put off poetry a bit because of high school as you do 
it ruins it for everybody. Learning poetry just, mm-hmm. um, it's done badly. Um, and then got back into it. I never fully left it. I was just like, write in secret, write in secret. Don't let anyone know you write poetry. Um, and then, yeah, and then got back into it. Um, I got my first paid performance gig at like 14. Um, and it spiraled from there. Um, I won the Youth Slam at 17, 18, something like that. I think 18. I was right at the upper end of the age bracket. Um, yeah. And then, and then books and stuff. And then children's poetry, which was a surprise. But, you know, it's quite nice um, during, like, terrible times to be like, I'm writing a poem about a dragon and there's nothing you can do to stop me. I love that. I love that. And so is there like, have you noticed like a difference between writing? So I'm guessing, yeah, writing for poetry is a bit of a different ball game to writing poetry for adults or for older people. Have there been like any sort of challenges and what's sort of come up that, yeah, come up through writing for a different audience like that? Um, I think it's really interesting. So I have, I have like, because I came to writing for children through sort of a strange route, I have rules that it seems a lot of children so I've got to be very careful that I don't sound like I'm insulting people because I'm not um the other children's poets don't have I come at it from a sort of different angle so um um I I'm very big on accessible poetry um and I think that breaks down the age barriers a little bit so um I my last full just me book was for teenagers um it was a YA poetry collection um and it's accessible but not in the sort of oh it's accessible in that you know we're trying to be basic and talk down to people way but in that I very pointedly have layers in my poetry and I do it the same for children's poetry as for adult poetry as for YA poetry, which is all of my poems, if you read them, there is a surface level Mm. and you can understand that surface level. It's not the kind of poetry where you read it and you have no idea what's going on. It freaks you out and, you know, you don't have 40 minutes to sit there and work out what the hell they're talking about. You know, you've got to... So it has that surface level and then underneath there's the second level of sort of deeper meaning that if you feel that you want to and if you feel confident enough you can dive into so um a good example of that is a poem that's in that collection um and it's called um Ratby nunnery i think um i'm rubbish at titles so i like type my poems right at the end and all the titles are rubbish and i forget them immediately and then my friends bully me about them because they can write really good titles and it's mean um so there's this poem and it's got a rubbish title and on the surface it's about some nuns moving house it's about a nunnery closing down and the nuns leaving um but then the second level is it's all about um, the death of organised religion in in Western society and um, and what that means and what's left behind and the legacy and that kind of whole deeper thing. But on the surface, if you just want to read the poem, you can get something out of it. Um, and I think I try and pull that into both adult and children's poetry. I think my children's poetry it uses it's less detailed in the um, and and slightly more narrative. Um, than my adult poetry, which is more about have this really painful feeling. It's mm. words now. Um, whereas my children's poem is like have this idea, have this story, have this concept, rather than <laughs> pain. <laughs> yeah, no, I really like what you said about the, the the different sort of levels. I think there are definitely some poems where you read them or certain types of poetry. Yeah, and it's like the the real sort of joy that people take out is processing them afterwards or like finding their own meaning but I also I quite like that idea of of you as a poet saying so here's one level that you can take and here's sort of like a like a like an easter egg like a bonus level as it were like you could also take um yeah and has that always sort of been throughout your poetry or is that something you've over time just developed 
um, I've, I've worked on it more recently, but it's, it's been something that I've always sort of had because um, my high school was rubbish um, <laughs> and taught us nothing. Um, the horror stories astound. Um, it no longer exists and um, <laughs> it ceased to exist the year I left. And uh, <laughs> after all of the scandals and terrible stuff that happened. Um, and it was fine. It was fine. There was, yeah, it was great. It was fun times. Um, it happened. <laughs> I don't think anyone died. Oh, it was good. Lots of people were arrested, but not for like the normal bad things that go on in schools and more for the stuff that's just kind of funny. Um, <laughs> and then there was a sewage incident involving the sewage plant next door um, and it was all good. Um, yeah. So things happened. Um, and as you can guess, sort of learning poetry wasn't high on our agenda. Mm. Um, so being really into poetry, I was like this weird kid. And so people would be like, tell me about poetry, you know, like what? And so I, it gave me the idea to make it accessible and, and performing in places like pubs and stuff. You'd often, and I often performed um, at events where there'd be bands and then me. Um, and so you perform to audiences who aren't poetry audiences who aren't expecting poetry. And the aim is always to have people come up and go, I didn't think I'd like poetry, but actually I quite like that. Um, and be like, yeah, cause poetry can be this. Um, and so having those levels allows it to be accessible to that broader range of people. And so, yeah, this idea of poetry being accessible in the way that it's not talking down to people, but that it, it gives you something to start with um, is something that I've always found quite important. Yeah, that's, that is incredible. I, I, that's the first time I've sort of heard about bands having poetry, like halfway through or like in the interval. I've heard that great. And that sort of leads me on to sort of uh, a question I had, which was, um, yeah, what, what kind of places have you taken your poetry work or your performance work? And did anything, um, did any of the like, audience reactions or did anything come up that surprised you when you took these pieces, these pieces of work to places? Um, I did once have someone come up to me after I performed and go, just straight up, straight faced, like not even a joke, when I didn't know poets still existed. I thought they all died out in the 18th century. I was like... <laughs> For a start, they would have died out in the 19th century. Second, no, we're still here. We're just better now. Um, <laughs> less boring, although actually slightly less chaotic. I mean, the romantic poets were messy. Um, oh, my God. Mary Shelley, just like, my husband, his heart, I'm going to keep it in my drawer forever. <laughs> Lol, wrap it in a love poem. That's standard. Carry it in my purse and then put it in my desk until I die for some poor person to find afterwards. <laughs> Oops, it's my husband's heart. That guy who his wife died and he was like, ah, oh, I'm going to romantically bury all of my poems with her. And then someone was like, do you want a book deal? And he was like, well, I'm going to dig her back up. And he had to like go to Parliament and be like, hi. Chancellor of the Exchequer or whoever the high important person he had to ask was, can I dig up my dead wife to get the poems back? <laughs> yeah. It's great. It's wild. Um, so we don't do that anymore, but we also write poems that are like better because they're like... <laughs> no, I do like old school poetry, but it gets a bit samey after a while and people are more about playing with styles and form nowadays, which is quite exciting. Um, so yes, I was going somewhere with that. Places I've performed. Um, weirdest places would probably be Houses of Parliament, various hospitals, a shipping container, um, the headquarters of various companies, including Budweiser and Pop Chips, despite the fact that I don't eat Pop Chips and I don't drink. Um, a gym. Um, where else have I performed that's super weird? 
various festivals, but they're not weird, are they? Um, everyone's formed at a festival. Um, so you just like strange places. Yeah, I love a strange place. Also, like normal places, like theatre. Yeah. And were the strange places like were they people had booked you, or like it was part of an event? Like how did that sort of come around? Like <laughs> most of them were people who like booked me. Um, but I do like a good. We're having an event where we have a long talk, and oh, this person who is speaking is also a poet. Can he do as a poem? Which is always good. Um, yeah, the House of Parliament was a bit weird because I had this this woman's like weeping after I did this poem about like how we shouldn't murder trans people, and she was like weeping. But she was like a massive Tory, and she was in like conservative blue, like full suit, and was like, "I love your work. You've got a new fan in me." And I was there like, "This is lovely," but I don't know if I want here to be a fan. Like I'm militantly left wing. Like I love you, and it's lovely, and please vote for our civil rights. But also, have you considered joining Labour? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that could be a bit tricky. But yeah, hopefully, what they yeah. what I hopefully saw was yeah a way of like really reevaluating, just rethinking even just one part of that sort of piece yeah, of identity. But I'm like, I'm really awkward at like meeting people after poetry anyway, because like people are like, oh my God, it's like amazing. And I'm like, I get that it's important and emotional for you. And it's lovely that you're connecting with my work, but this is the like 15th time I've done this poem this week. And mostly I'm dead inside and wondering which tube I'm going to get home. Um, so I love you. Where's the nearest McDonald's? <laughs> and yeah. I, I just find it really hard to, to talk to people after Prime because I, I really want to like value those feelings and value all of that and, and the reaction they've had. And I always feel like I come off sounding really hollow. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad you liked it. And I'm genuinely really glad they liked it. But then they've heard me say that to the person who came up to me before them. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't really have the words for this. Can I give you a hug? Which, you know, I can't now do. So I've lost I've lost the one skill I had in accepting people's feelings. Poets are bad with feelings. That's why we write poetry. We can't do it on the spot. We've got to practice. <laughs> and do it where someone can't answer back. So it's always yeah. they have to listen. Yeah, it's like I spent six months drafting this emotion and now you've all got to sit in silence and listen to it. <laughs> like, we don't do the, no, we don't do the like connecting thing. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, and when you first started getting your poetry out there, like uh, in publishing, but also just performing, um, what were the sort of the initial challenges and what sort of um, advice would you give to someone who may be yeah, looking at um, releasing their poetry sort of out into the world? Oh, it's a nightmare. And honestly, the industry is just nepotism central. It is. It is. It's sad, but it is. It's just who knows who, who knows who. And look, um, I mean, there's a big thing in that you do poetry slams, um, which are competitions in which you perform and then people vote on your poetry, which is grim. Um, and I, I hate them. I think that they're really detrimental to the form. I think they're really exploitative to the people who take part, but they're kind of the way to get your voice out there. But, you know, I'm really conflicted in saying go win some sounds because that's kind of how I got my career. But also it's, it's grim and you shouldn't have to do that. Um, and there's always the token trans person at a slam. I was joking with someone who did the roundhouse slam like two years after me, like, oh, you were that year's finalist. And I was like, yeah, I was a token trans finalist that year. You're this year's, right? And they were like, yeah. And we were like, awesome. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like a thing. Um, um, back when I was before, when I first started, <laughs> it was, sounds ridiculous, but it was years ago. Um, <laughs> And so, because <laughs> I started so young, um, and so there were lots of, and they still are lots of rules about posting things online, but Instagram hadn't become a thing when I was 
like not for poetry, not when I was when I was starting out. Um, and I know that that's more of a thing now. But then publishing work online is more complicated because it counts as published. So then magazines and journals won't take it. And magazines and journals are what a lot of publishers look for. But then a lot of publishers look for different things. Um, and then, yeah, it's 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 chaotic. And then you've got to talk about agents and stuff like that. I think a lot of it is um, it, a lot of it is luck. A lot of it is being in the right place at the right time. And performance will do you a world of good. Um, performing to people is is is. You know, you get your voice out there to to people who wouldn't normally listen, and to agents and and authors and writers. And and I mean, <laughs> I got a book deal off the back of performing at the launch of a book that I was in. Um, no. And this other publisher came up and was like, "I'm gonna poach you," and I was like, <laughs> "Okay, this is grim." You're like, you were just like having champagne with like the publisher who just published me, and you're like yoinking me. You're like, <laughs> mine. Um, I did ask if it was okay. Um, in poetry, unlike in most publishing authors often have multiple publishers um whereas in sort of you know standard novels and stuff you have your publisher quite often who will publish your works um whereas in poetry it's quite normal for you to be with various people for various different things that's really interesting I, 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 yeah i hadn't really thought about yeah poets have can be multiple publishers so that's really interesting that sort of dynamic um oh, and have you ever found moments where you've because we've had some other sort of poets come on to this, sort of, this series um, and they've talked about how sometimes there can be initial struggle between being like um, an LGBTQ plus po poet and then like I just want to write a poem about flowers or about bread and it's like having that battle. Have you ever had those moments? And oh my god don't. <laughs> so, um, so I might mentor a lot of young poets and um, a lot of them are queer because queer people are the best and we're really creative and awesome and everyone else can like suck it um so i've, I've mentored a lot of young young poets and a huge amount of time i have to say you have to find the balance that you're comfortable with with that like so i i know for a fact that part that the beginning wave of my career i timed it accidentally but timed it perfectly with the first wave of sort of acknowledgement of trans people in the uk and so i wrote that with the whole trans poet thing and i still perform trans, my trans poems but they are my trans poems there's like two of them that are famous i've written like four in my whole life mm -hmm. um they're not my best work. I don't really care for them. Everyone asks for them. And often I'll perform them right at the beginning of the gig, get them out of the way, and then be like, now we're doing what I want. Mm -hmm. um, but you have to kind of work out where you're comfortable with it on that sort of balancing that, that tokenistic need that the world has with what you're comfortable with and what you're comfortable with writing. Um, and recently, I've done a lot of stuff where I'm just like, I'm writing this, and you mm -hmm. can take it. Or you cannot, um, which is really bad. Um, it's career-wise, you shouldn't. You shouldn't do that. You should do what the publishers want. But I'm like, I'm writing a children's poetry collection, and it's going to have wizards and dragons in it because I like wizards and dragons. And yeah. okay, some of the poems could be like trans metaphors if you super want it. But mostly, I just love a dragon, mm -hmm. and I love a wizard. And this one's about how you shouldn't steal, and in it, the dragon's the good one, um, you know, and that kind of thing. And 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 yeah, I think part of it's putting your foot down, um, and part of it's accepting that you can kind of play it a little bit and be like, oh, oh you foolish cishets, give me a job, um, and then spin it on them and just be like, well, actually, I'm performing what I want. You've had your two poems, and now I'm going to do these poems about why I'm suspicious of chickens and why working class people deserve better and nuns and mm -hmm. dragons and pirates and you know um, and so part of it's playing that battle but um, a lot of poets I mentor have the same struggle with um, like race issues um, I know Fahad was like who's who's one of my 
I have like my poetry children who are like my core that, oh. that I mentor. I love them with all my heart. And Fad came to me and he was like, what do I do? And I was like, you, you've got to decide where you're comfortable with and where you want to balance those expectations um, and how much you want to use it to get ahead and how much you want to use it and, you know, how much that will kill your soul to do and where mm. you're going to hit that balance. Um, and it's, it's difficult. Um, I think people should be careful not to be not to be exploited, but also to kind of ride that wave because if people are going to give us the chance when often you're not given the chance um because mm-hmm. yeah poetry is just nepotism um and and lies and chaos um yeah. and so cliquey i stay out of it but the oh, the arguments that go on i don't even know i just get people come up to me and go, did you hear about it and i'm like i'm staying out of it i don't know i don't know yeah. i don't want to know st- no i refuse to find out stop telling me because it's it's bad yeah and it's it's very easy to get sort of sucked into that like sort of whole world of well this person said this about this person and that person's doing this, to this and it's like sometimes you just gotta take a step back and just it's so bitchy it's so <laughs> bitchy. <laughs> yeah it's possibly worse than most most literary worlds because a lot of poets are performance poets as well so we actually see each other in person um and then what happens after a poetry night is that everybody goes to the pub and like i don't drink but it still gets messy like just putting a load of poets together in a bar is a bad idea um and so it did yeah it leads to a lot of clique and infighting and god knows what else oh god well yeah definitely just gotta try and watch but not get involved and just yeah, yeah, that sort of... yeah highly recommend that yeah. um, and if you do want a bitch have your core group of friends and you'd be like oh my god so no one's moving on <laughs> or yeah, did you hear that they won hmm. or did you hear that they didn't win hmm. um <laughs> not that we mean or bitch or anything <laughs> yeah yeah oh no that's awesome um and sort of uh Looking more sort of like your sort of identity, uh, do you have sort of any key times or places that you feel really helped you to understand your identity? I don't know. Actually, I don't know. <laughs> um, I think a lot of it was just existing in the world and being like, mm, no, this ain't right. Um, and, and mine was a very long process of working myself out because, again, I feel really elderly because like I'm really young. But like I started to transition before it became sort of this public debate. Mm-hmm. And so... I'm sort of the generation where I didn't know I was trans because I didn't know trans was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's sort of how I'm coming at it in that I was just like, I didn't know it existed. Um, so it was more of me just being like, this is weird. This is wrong. This is weird. This is wrong. This is weird. This is wrong. And then one day going, oh, that's a thing. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> more so than, than there being a specific sort of time or place. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah and I think that's really interesting what you said about sort of language as well like finding it and I think you know we've had various different people and artists sort of come on here and talk about yeah those sort of moments and it's just, it's interesting seeing when that not access to that language but when you stumble across that word or you find that 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 thing and you're like oh that that's the thing that's that mm. this now kind of makes sense um yeah. and just how quickly that that is all changing all the time yeah Oh, I'm fascinated by, you know, poet. I'm like, oh, words. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, completely. And, like, yeah, and just how that sort of, yeah, plays out. And, yeah, words, yeah, when I talk about words, I'm so down for it because I it's so... Word. I mean, the English language is nonsense, makes no sense, completely unfit for purpose, but it's excellent, and I have strong opinions about words. 
<laughs> oh no, I feel like I've opened Pandora's box. Let's <laughs> move on quickly. <laughs> oh, cool. so, um, so people talk a lot about sort of self-care um, and also about community care. Um, do you have sort of any tips or how do you sort of manage your self-care but also, yeah, how you get involved with community care, if at all? Um, so for me self-care is <laughs> it's get off of netflix you're wallowing now um i do a lot of walking um going to nice places trying to get out of my own head um dressing nicely i like to dress nicely it's good for me um i have a lot of things that i keep as standard like i have i use nice soap all of the time all of the time just have a base level of nice high quality stuff it's like nice soap my hair always smells of lavender i won't have it any other way um just like little things like lots of blankets on the bed and um, i travel a lot so most of my self-care has got to be portable as well and things that i can do in in various well i did travel a lot you know plague um but things that i can do in various places um readings always good um carrying a book and yeah just being able to walk and, and get away headphones and just for miles you know eight miles ten miles something like that and just walk um it's something that i find just you know getting out getting out trying to exercise rather than just lying in bed and being like <laughs> feeling yeah. nice food i love a nice food yeah. that was my big thing third year of uni when i was like trying to write my dissertation nice food oh, i wasted What's so much money on like what is the go-to oh. well when i lived in bristol which was a place that had the like one of the very few places in england that does a good burrito there's this burrito place partway up park street it's called mission burrito and they did what did they do they did student wednesdays and they did two stamp tuesdays so you get two stamps on your little like loyalty card oh, i lived for it and the thing is like you walk up a hill to get there so it's like you're earning it mm-hmm. um or they delivered to my flat <laughs> um yeah they did these amazing burritos for like less than a fiver and they were so good and they were like the size of it, like a baby's arm like, like toddlers on they're like massive um and just so good um so yeah it was it was burritos for like quite a while now it's 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 pies i love a pie like pie is my favorite food people are like what flavor i'm like all flavors pie is my favorite food um, <laughs> all of the flavors again there was a place in bristol that did really good pies and i'd walk past it on my way back from uni and i'd go in and buy like a week's worth of pies to like cook in the oven each night when i was like stressed with meditation like what's this one? Oh, it's treats and butterbean that's fancy and this one's lamb yeah just like a pie uh, do you like a sweet pie as well or is it just savory i will take a sweet pie i feel like i prefer crumbles to sweet pies because often when you do a sweet pie the bottom hasn't been cooked properly and it's often quite thick for some reason i'm like why are you doing this to me they don't do it with savory pies why is this happening um so i'm more of a crumble guy and crumbles should not have pastry at the bottom and the first time i encountered that i was horrified that is not a crumble that's a lie oh my gosh you look shocked I, yeah, I would be, I'd be gooped at that. I'd be a bit like, what's going on? Um, why is this here? Um, yeah, no, it's a lie. <laughs> it's just not true. It's just not a crumble if it's got the pastry at the bottom. Gosh. And w- did you take up cooking over lockdown? We've just had sort of that sort of experience. Was um, that a bit or? No, I mean, I've always cooked. Um, I didn't really like take up cooking over lockdown um, any more than... No, I, I mean, I just carried on doing the cooking as I always do. Um, you know, I like to, I enjoy the process of cooking, um, which I think a lot of people don't. Um, even like the really easy stuff, I deliberately take ages. People are like, you've been chopping that onion for like 15 minutes. I'm like, 
I enjoy the process. Like I cut the way I chop my garlic stresses my friends out. They're like, you you always put in like seven cloves and you always take like five minutes of clove and you chill out and I'm there like slicing it really thinly and gently and then dicing it. I'm like it will be done properly, it will be done anally and specifically and slowly and I will enjoy it. Mm-hmm, and I will mm-hmm. follow the instructions and get out of my own head and enjoy this process. <laughs> that, that's a very therapeutic way of doing it. Just just having a process and just like going through it and being like, this is the end result. This is the middle. Was like, I think that's very yeah. therapeutic. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be fancy or like, I'm like making a chili. Most of it's coming out of tins, but I'm going <laughs> to spend ages chopping the things, making it nice, adding the stuff doing it slowly, simmering it, stirring it. Is the end result gourmet? Probably not. Did it soothe my soul in the process? Yeah, a little bit. That's why I don't bake. Baking's too stressful. Oh, uh, not, not a baker? Yeah, people are like, no, people are like, baking. I started baking during lockdown. It was soothing. I was like, baking is not soothing. <laughs> baking is not soothing. It's, it's like, it's like if, if, if cooking and maths and science had an evil baby, it's not okay. You get one thing wrong and it explodes or turns into a meteorite or like eats something or comes alive and it's not okay. It's not okay. And people are like, oh, I made a sourdough starter. I'm like, if you get that wrong, it can kill you, it can poison you. I'm not, yeah. oh, we went out into the woods and collected wild sourdough spores and then we fermented them over months. And I'm like, just get a life. Oh, I I have personal friends who've done this with their sourdough and they're living for their sourdough, so I I can't I can't knock them or, or mock them. I mean, um, I appreciate it. It's I, I get it, but it's just it's not my thing. I like I like I cook the thing. Here's my steps. It's done now. Same with poetry. I write my poem. I've done my steps. It's done now. I'm not coming back to it over the period of six months like a novel. Like here's my thing. Have it. Uh, interesting. And so with the poetry, if you made yeah, if you do if you write a poem, yeah. Do you come back to it often or are you like, right, that's it, that's done? We'll sort of um, that yeah, I come back to it a bit and then you have to stop. You have to stop yourself because of the way I've got a friend who's been working on this poem for like four years and I'm like, you need to stop now. She's like, I need to edit it tomorrow. I'm like, no, you don't. They're like, I made it into the shape of a swallow. I'm like, why? <laughs> Just stop now. They're like, none of the forms were right. So I've made it into the shape of a swallow. I'm like, <laughs> I love you dearly, but you need help. Uh, someone messaged me today, like, is this poem form weird enough? And I was like, oh, no. And I opened the message and then put the poem in a maze. Oh, wow. No. Yeah, I was like, I love you, but stop. Stop yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. And, and, like, the it was that it worked. And I hated that it worked. I was like, I can't even knock it. Yeah, it makes sense. It fits the poem. I detest this. Please take it out of my messages. <laughs> oh gosh. I, well, I think the takeaway from that is yeah, definitely put it in a drawer, like leave it for a few months and then come back to it with fresh eyes. I think it's definitely, yeah, yeah. The, the best but thing. But then seal it up. Then be like, it's done now. And unless mm. you have a genuinely revelatory idea surrounding it, leave it alone. <laughs> or you'll make it into a swallow at 2 a.m. She, she spent hours getting the shape of the bird right. It had to be anatomically correct. So, wow. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna move us along because I feel like this is gonna sit and it's gonna be like just there. Traumatized. But... Yeah. <laughs> so like um so when you're um, performing your work, how did you get that confidence? And also um not just of poetry, but also of your um 
being a public speaker and like um, also sort of delivering sort of training and, and workshops, where did you sort of get that confidence and do you have tips for finding that confidence? Well, first off, I'm a narcissist. Um, <laughs> no, um, I mean, partially it is that I have an overinflated ego, uh, but also I don't and I'm deeply insecure and standing in front of a crowd is like, catnip i'm like you're all here for me you're all here but that's the thing that you need i think performing speaking is to stand there and be like these people have come to like hear what you have to say like they're here for you whether they're here for you or not is a secondary question the truth of it all but when you're on stage, they're here for you they're listening to you and you're like important but also um and it's a skill but if you work on it you can sort of consume it sounds really creepy you can consume the energy of a crowd um, which is something i'm struggling with a lot with um sort of zoom gigs mm. um is is that you can feel it if you stand mm. on stage you often see performers sort of spread their hands out with their palms up and they're f you they're feeling the weight of the audience's attention you mm. physically you can feel it you can weigh it in your hands and you can tell what they're mm. feeling whether you need to whether you need to tone it down or not or, or bring it up whether you need to add a joke um you know that whether you need to do something a bit more <laughs> light now or whether you can hold that darkness for a second um mm. i think the sign of a confident performer is how long they can hold a pause oh. and how long they're comfortable standing in the silence on a stage. And I think that's something that people can work on and build on. And once you've stood in silence and had an audience sit there waiting for your next move, mm -hmm. then you know that you're, you've got it, you're confident that you've got that. And it's something you can build up and you can build up those silences. And it's something that's, I think, super important, not just in talking, but in poetry. Silences are so important. They're, they're the white space, space of the spoken word. I think how important the white space of a page is in a poem. Um, on stage, that's, that's the silence. Um, and I think that that's super important. Um, but, but it's a lot of it, people are like, oh, imagine the audience naked. Imagine this, imagine. I'm like, it's not about making the audience less important. It's about making you more important. Um, so don't imagine the audience naked because that's just stupid and also your mum's probably in the audience and slash is grim um, yeah also if you're on stage you can't if, if it's a theatre stage or anywhere with decent lights you can't see the audience so that mm -hmm. makes no sense um, and so that's where the feeling of the audience comes in and feeling that weight because you can't see them but you can feel the presence and you can work out what they need and want from you from the mm -hmm. sense of that presence um, which is yeah super important and um, yeah, so it's all about just practice. I think a lot of practice and a lot of just being knowing that they're there for you and internalizing that they, they have come to watch you. And most of the time, if it's an arts event, you know, like pub gigs are slightly different. But if it's if it's in a theater, if it's an arts event, they're there to watch you succeed. Mm -hmm. They're not there. They didn't come to watch you fail. You know, this isn't comedy. People aren't being really mean. Like when it comes to public speaking, when it comes to poetry, when it comes to theatre, basically everything except for comedy, because comedy's mean. Um, <laughs> comedy's hard. <laughs> people are like, oh, you do jokes in between your poems. Do you know that you're like basically a comedian? And I'm like, yes, I do the thing where I make people laugh before I make them cry. But I will never do comedy because everyone in comedy isn't mean. <laughs> and like people have standards in comedy. Comedy. I can tell a terrible joke on stage in poetry and people wet themselves because they're expecting to cry right because mm -hmm. poetry is sad and depressing um but like i go into a comedy gig i'm distorted i'm not doing that no 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 yeah it's really interesting and one of our guests sort of before they were talking about how um so this is sort of like looking internationally how yeah the audiences when they used to do gigs in like berlin and like in europe were, were so different compared to audiences in in 
in the UK. And I don't know if you've done much touring yourself, like in. Yeah, I did a little bit. I'm regretting not doing more now that you know we're going to be banned from Europe forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, it's a bit of a tricky situation. Um, but they, but they were sort of saying, yeah, that that um, idea that for them, for, so when they were doing stuff in Berlin. Um, the audience, like you said, were very much with them in the fact they didn't just sit there silent. They were, they laughed and they cried and they cheered and they they really wanted to sort of be with the poet whilst doing their work. Whereas, yeah, here it can be a bit more reserved, like when they're going to sit and watch and... Well, English people don't have emotions, remember. Um, feelings are banned. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, and I think, yeah, the, the other big thing is don't be afraid to make a fool out of yourself because if you're afraid to make a fool out of yourself, that's when you look the fool, um, which I learned when I did theatre studies at A-level. Failed that. I found my A-level results for the first time ever over the plague. I didn't need to know them. Who needs A-level results to be a poet, right? <laughs> God, I got like a D. It was grim. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but yeah. Um, the advice is still helpful. Yeah, the advice is helpful in that if, you, if you're the one trying not to look like an idiot on stage, you will look like an idiot on stage because everyone will pick up on the awkwardness. Whereas, like, I walk on stage... I have I have like belched on stage. I've been in the middle of a poem. Be like, hold on one second here. Um, I I once had to rush off stage because I'd like eaten something that I really shouldn't have eaten just before and got food poisoning. Um, I once on the way onto the stage, I put my foot in the jacket of the like the important headliner and like tripped up on onto the stage. And I just started with, well, that went well. Um, but then it can never go downhill from there, right? Like the worst things happened. Carry on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of just don't be afraid to look like an idiot because mm-hmm. I mean you're on stage you're already an idiot who does that if you're not like being ridiculous so yeah and I feel like that's advice is is, is definitely advice that anyone could sort of just take in life like even if you're yeah when you're at work or at home or whatever yeah don't be afraid like yeah don't be afraid to be a fool like I, I think. I mean, I don't know if everybody watches Schitt's Creek, but they should. Um, and the greatest thing, one of my favourite moments in Schitt's Creek is when David is redoing his driving test and he's really stressed about the whole thing. I've watched this show too many times and can quote it from heart. And Alexis is, is like, David, no one cares. No one cares. Nobody thinks about you the way you're thinking about you. And I think that, and, and then obviously he finds that he's driving and the driving instructor barely knows his name and David just sort of realises that nobody nobody cares, um, mm-hmm. but in the greatest of ways. Um, and I think that that's something that's super overlooked and super like important to internalise, that like, nobody is thinking about you or looking at you the way you are thinking about and looking at you. You are the only person who experiences everything that you are. And that means that you experience a lot more of the nonsense and shit than anybody else experiences. And so, again, you know, like don't worry about it like go on stage and be a bit of a tip because what people are seeing is an entertainer they're being entertained they're being performed they're not going to then go oh this person is like that all of the time mm-hmm. you know and and it's the same with just living life like nobody cares but in the mm-hmm. best way yeah <laughs> yeah we stress in the best way yeah in the best way like yeah. people care in your heart they care about your feelings but like nobody is micro like paying attention to every tiny thing you do and judging you for it like that's not that's not how the world works it's okay yeah oh, no absolutely that's some really great advice there and yeah definitely there's always moments where yeah it can feel like the whole world is just watching you and it's like no they're just they're just they're just doing their own thing and you're just doing your own thing you just got to see what happens yeah yeah. <laughs> awesome. And sort of during over during over lockdown, um, at sort of the beginning of sort of all this, um, 
did it affect your creative process at all when you were looking at work? Because I, I noticed on your blog you were still sort of writing poetry and sort of about what was sort of going on. But did lockdown change your creative process? Did you discover anything new? Um, yeah, how was that for you? Well, I was in the middle of writing a wholesome children's book when lockdown hit. Um, and I haven't written any more of that. I was like, this I'm too I'm too grim inside my soul right now to be writing this wholesome children's book about a guy who finds a dog, right? It's just not happening. Yeah. Can't do this. It's too cute mm. and I'm not cute right now. I can't do the voice. Um so that sort of went on the back burner. Um I was doing a lot of children's poems about wizards, that kind of went on the back burner. And instead I wrote a load of plague poetry, which was, according to many people, really grim, Jay. Um someone, I got this message, it was like, are you okay? I read today's poem. I was like, that isn't even the most depressing poem I've written. That's like one of the lighthearted ones. And they were like, oh no. Um, but I felt like it was super important to sort of not just record the, the moment, but to record the feelings. Um, and, and it's very cathartic to read a poem, helps you connect with your own feelings. So for everyone else. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been weird. Um, it's more changed what I've been writing than how much I've been writing. Um, yeah. And the lack of performances has meant that I've moved slightly towards more like poems that work more on a page. Cause some poems are quite difficult to perform um, and some poems are easier to perform. And a lot of the stuff I've been writing recently, though still performable, um, leans slightly more towards that, that pagey, you want to reread it thing. Um, because, of course, when you perform a poem, people only hear it once. So it's got to be understandable in that once. Whereas a page poem, people people reread it, reread it and be like, oh. Um, so yeah, I've been playing with that um, quite a lot. Um, so yeah, I did my plague poems, which yeah were grim, a poem a day for quite a while. Um, and yeah, um, but but the depth of feeling was very exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it sounds great, like finding out that or, or playing around with the, the visual look of it, because I think a lot of things have gone more visual. Because obviously, yeah, with with things like being online and on Instagram and all sorts of stuff, yeah, there has been sort of been a shift to that much more recently because of obviously lockdown and stuff um so it's interesting that you sort of pick that up in your own work being a bit more like yeah adapting it so that it reads a bit more visually on the page yeah i've been playing with 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 line breaks and where where the pieces fall but that's quite interesting um so the one that plays with it quite a lot is don't die um which is very grim um it broke a lot of people when it came out um and i was like oh didn't expect this and it sort of blew up a little bit um and yeah, so it, it's a poem where someone's just having a conversation with someone. Um, but the, the sort of riff of the poem is that underlying every conversation we have at the moment is like, don't die. Um, mm. And so the don't dies were were adjusted across the page more towards the right um, and sort of interspersed where lines finished um, mm. and in italics. Um, and so they follow that. They have that pause that you would have. So you finish the first line. And then there's the drop and there's the pause and it's a longer pause behind the truth, um, which I think is quite interesting. Um, I've been meaning to play with it for a while. It's been in a few drafts, but I've never fully fledged it. And then I was like, ah, why not? <laughs> Might die. Let's write poems. <laughs> Now's the time. You know, now exactly. is the time to do it. Um, now, is it okay if I throw a slight philosophical question at you, Jay? I feel like... Yes, what poets do. Awesome, we're at that moment. Um, so the philosophical question that we often ask is, if you could talk to um, a younger version of yourself, mm -hmm. which age version of yourself would you pick? And what would you tell them about? Or what would you talk to them about? Oh, I don't know, because I'm insufferable. I don't know if I'd want to talk to past me. <laughs> I wouldn't want to talk to present me, it just happens. Um, 
ooh, probably 12 or 13. And I'd be mm. like, you need to Google the words trans. Mm. <laughs> trans man. Google, Google it, okay? Yeah. Revelation. You'll be great. And it will be fine and everything will turn out right, but you should you should look that up. You should do that. Um, I think that's that sort of, yeah, and uh, just a sort of reassurance that it'd be fine and also be like, your poetry's going to go far, so don't worry about failing maths. <laughs> I don't think I ever actually failed maths. I dropped it before it got to the point where people knew I'd be bad at it. Like, I did the GCSEs and I was like, no. Yeah, but half it, I was like, oh, I'm going to move more towards the wordy stuff. Not The math stuff, nah, not, not computing. Um, I made the mistake of doing... Um, chemistry as level um and i failed i was so bad at it the teacher was like just stop coming to class just stop coming you're gonna fail focus on the subjects that you'll pass you're gonna drop this at the end of this year not optional um so got you in that <laughs> <laughs> but like just just don't bother turning up just it's fine. he was a great teacher to be fair he wouldn't stand up with no teeth and refuse to explain to anyone what happened Wow, wow. He was there on Monday, took Tuesday off, came back on Wednesday, zero teeth. But he was very good. Whoa. <laughs> that, I told you, my high school was wild. That was like <laughs> one of the least interesting things that happened. I feel like that's a whole different interview. Like, that's a whole different know, right? like, of, of Jason. That's a whole book, man. That is, that is. But yeah, he, he was he was a super good teacher in that he was just like look you've tried really hard and he did like take lunch times out to like try and teach me and he was like but you're just not getting it there's too much maths here and you you can't do the maths with the moles there's like moles involved not the creatures it's like a thing and titrates there's moles and titrations and i don't know what they are but i know the words um which is why i got a you <laughs> but importantly have you used those words in a poem since then i feel like that. No, but I did use H2O in a children's poem recently. Nice, nice. Mm. It, was it always comes back. Um, awesome. so I've got... <laughs> all comes back to sign. Um, so yeah, I've got like a few more final questions about that. Let's cool. go. Yeah, because we're time. Um, so sort of speaking, yeah, we've talked, talked, talked a lot about poetry and books. Uh, is there a poem or book that you wish you could have written? That you've oh my read. god, loads of them, and I get so jealous. I'm like, how dare you? And the thing is, once you've read it, you can never write it because you know that someone else has written it and it's plagiarised. Like, mm. before I read the poem, I could have written it. I could have written it. I mean, I couldn't have written it, that's why I hadn't written it. But, like, I could have written it. And then you read it and you're like, oh! <laughs> it's gone forever now. Um, I've read it, and now I know it, and now it exists, and now I can never write it. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of poems like that. There are some phenomenal poets who stress me out on a day-to-day -day basis, but in a good way. They challenge me to be better. Um, I think the most recent one that just messed everybody up, Ilya Kaminsky did Deaf Republic, which just broke a lot of people. It's phenomenal. Um, it's, a, it's a series of poems that create a narrative about a boy who's shot and the entire town goes deaf, the sound of the bullet killing the innocent boy deafens the entire town. And they communicate using sign language. And Ilya Kaminsky is, I don't know if he's deaf or hard of hearing, um, but his experience plays into it and it's, it's quite beautiful. Um, there's um, Kingdom of Gravity, um, which is all about um, what happened after they got rid of Idi Amin. Um, and there's a series of poems about living during that time. Um, there's, oh, there's just so many good poems by good poets. Um, Jacob Polly did like one of my favourite poems of all time, Spike. 
Um, there's Linda Gregg's The Lamb, which I'm just like, oh, how dare you? Um, yeah, there's loads, there's loads. Um, and I'm just deeply jealous and irritated that I didn't write them. And I'm like, I hate you. Um, there are questions about angels. There's loads, there's loads. I'm just like, it's all so good. It's all so good. I also like that feeling when you find something, you're like, this is incredible. And then you some, or I suddenly realised that um, I will never have that feeling of discovering that poem again, if that makes sense. Like, oh, yes. I always want to forget it so I can rediscover and feel so, yeah, euph- euphoric or, like, really sort of, like, whoa, like... When you get that oof. Yes. Yeah. That is the world's sort of like, oof factor, completely. Yeah. Um, awesome. And, and sort of during our weird time in lockdown, and speaking of sort of, like, um, yeah, poems that you found that really do that oof factor, uh, have, there, have there been three bits of content that you've um really enjoyed during lockdowns that could be games or poetry or books or movies um that you want to share with us what have i enjoyed i mean i've watched a lot of telly but it's all been deliberately rubbish i mean shit's creek has been keeping me sane i mean i'd already watched it all but i just watched it all again and again and again and again and now i can quote every episode and it upsets my friends um what have i been reading lately a lot of it's been weird and like very specific interesty which like no one else would be into so i'm not gonna bother um like unless you're like really into the history behind medieval carved bench ends in like churches i'm like don't think you like you don't care so it's fine um god what i have I got into there's like a website that I found which has emulators of 1980s video games and I found out that I'm not bad at video games I'm just bad at modern video games and that I am in fact very good at platform games because you can only go left or right yes. and up and down and so it just makes everything easier um, like you just go in one direction you just like the aim of basically every platform game is see as far to the right of the screen as you can go before you die uh, which yeah. is I'm very into that there's one that's called like ghosts and ghouls or ghouls and ghosts it's very <laughs> difficult I've enjoyed it immensely um, from like 1986 um, and music wise yeah aside from my normal just a hell of a lot of weird classical music I found I found a, a, a cover of Aphex Twins Lichen, 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 but played on the oboe, which was very exciting. Um, I played that a lot. That was very interesting. Um, Mika, we'll say Mika. People can enjoy Mika. I've listened to a lot of Mika. My name is Michael Holbrook. I found that album near the beginning of lockdown and just listened to that on loop, which was good. Um, Tiny Love Reprise is banging. Mm-hmm. Mika is complete, yeah. I, yeah, I still remember when Mika like first bloomed into popularity, and then kind of drifted away. And now, yeah, I feel like they're sort of just sort of coming back. They're just sort yeah. Of... I mean, should be better. I've got a playlist on Spotify called "Oh, He's Gay," um, and it's just like seventy percent Mika. Oh, it's like all the pop music where I'm like, where people are like, oh yeah, yeah, he's gay. Smacking. <laughs> oh, he's gay. gay. We've all got them. We've all got them. Um, and sort of my final question for you, um, at sort of, sort of near the end, is um, how can viewers find out more about your work? Where are you at? Where can people see what you do more? Um, what platforms are you using? Um, I'm on Twitter, but it is like mostly chaos. Um, it's just like there's an energy there, but I don't know what it is, but there's a lot of it. Um, so I'm there all of the time, 24-7, seven days a week. We're like living our best life all of the time, and every topic's covered. You want to know about old churches? I got you. You want to know about dismantling the patriarchy? I got you. Trans rights, religion, 
poetry. It's all there in a chaotic package. Um, I've also got a website, janehume.com, which is less messy but also less good because we like chaos. Um, I think I've got a YouTube, but I haven't updated it since I was about 12, so enjoy that. Um, and I've got an Instagram, which is, as previously mentioned, bad, but pretty photos, but bad. Oh, pretty photos are never bad. I, I appreciate a nice pretty photo. Yeah, but like Instagram's become all about the captions somehow, and I'm like, it's a photo app. You post photos. I don't get it. Why are you writing an essay in in the description that has nothing to do with the picture? I don't, I, I don't get it. So I'm just like, here's a picture of a church. This is what church it is. Here's a picture of some countryside. This is the countryside it is. Enjoy. Like, why do I need to know that you had like a baby and it was excellent and here's a photo of a milkshake? What's going on? I don't even know. <laughs> it stresses me out. And on that stressful note, we... So elderly. <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm with you. Or it can be confusing. When it, yeah, when they post a picture of one thing and then it's about another, it can be confusing. Juju My sister's like, moment. Twitter's for old people. You should be on Instagram. And I'm like, I don't understand Instagram. And she's like, you're old. I'm like, no, it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> You be selective. That's fine. That's all cool. I give all of my heart to Twitter. There's no time for anything else. That is that is totally fair. And I feel Juju has come in at the perfect moment, so I will pass it yep. over. Yep, here I am. Thanks a lot, Jay. It was absolutely brilliant. I enjoyed it a lot. Thank, thank you very, very much for um, your words. Uh, any final thoughts that you would like to leave us with? I mean, thank you for listening to my messy, chaotic rambling. It's been lovely. It's been an excellent interview with Jack. Um, and I feel like I didn't talk a lot of sense. Please, you know, enjoy that. But I also yeah. didn't go off about, like, medieval church building. So we're all good there. I was very, very specific that I wasn't going to do that tonight. So I'm, I'm proud of me. But, yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. That's the next episode. Oh, I'll teach you all about cathedrals. I have opinions. Yeah, yeah, completely. <laughs> Absolutely, it was amazing. So thanks again. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Jack, and everyone for listening. So um, see you next week for another episode of I Am Socially Distancing With by the Guy Trust. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. This episode was brought to you thanks to sponsorship from Gilead.